I want to ask you something as I start. How many of you ever saw the movie Saving Private Ryan? A few hands didn't go up. For those of you who never saw it, let me just give you a little, little short summary of what it was about. There was a team of soldiers led by a Captain Mark Miller who were sent over to Europe in World War II to try to find this private Ryan and bring him home. Why? Because his other brothers had all been killed already in the war, and the president wanted his mother not to lose him also. But in the process of them searching after him and trying to bring him home, one by one they were all killed. And the last one to die was Captain Miller. And as he was dying... He spoke to Private Ryan and said, make it count. Make it count. That apparently really worked on on that man all of his life because at at the end of the movie, you see him as an older man now over in, in Europe at the grave, kneeling at the grave of this Captain Miller. And what he says there is, I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. Basically, he was saying, I hope it was worth it. You know? I hope it was worth it. And then the camera shows in the background his family there with him. His wife, children, grandchildren. And the obvious implication is, yes, it was worth it. Every one of us goes through things in our lives that we sometimes ask, is it worth it? Is it worth it? This morning, I just want to share with you some of the highlights of Cindy and I's story of what all God brought us through to bring us to this place and bring the church to this place where it is now. So please don't think that I'm saying anything great about us. I want to talk about God's faithfulness in all of this. And hopefully it's going to encourage you for the things you go through also. In 1997 after getting very clear confirmation for the Lord that this is what he wanted for us, very clear. Chris, who was going to be a senior in high school that year, Cindy and I made our move out here to Durango, leaving behind a church where I'd been a pastor for 21 years, leaving behind family and friends and not really knowing what we're getting into except we felt like God wanted us to start a church. Once we got here, we started having a Bible study with some people that wanted to be a part of it, But as we were doing so, God began to speak to me and he said, before you start a church, before you start anything, I want you to build relationships with the other pastors and leaders here in the area. So I began to do that. In the process, I met another man close to my age who had only recently gone into full-time ministry for the first time in his life. He'd taken over a church that was struggling and seen it begin to build up and begin to be a very good church in the area. And he'd been praying for someone to come alongside him to help him understand and to learn more about how to to do this. As we began to share together, we both realized that our vision for the area was almost exactly the same. So God put us together, and I became an associate pastor to him. At first, everything went really well. We we started a Christian high school. We had started an evening service where we had great worship and the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit. During that time, uh, God sent Dennis and Laurel and later on Joy out here to be a part of us. And, and everything was just going great. 
church grew to about 200 or so every month, every Wednesday, excuse me, every Sunday. But then things started happening. There was a, a friction began to develop between that pastor and myself. Now, all I will say is that I take full responsibility for my part in it, okay? It was just something that happened. But as it began to grow, it became obvious that we were going to no longer be able to continue the way we had been. So we began to pray and ask God what his purpose was, what his plan was. And it soon became clear to both of us that he was supposed to take on a new area of ministry. And I was supposed to come in and become the pastor of the church. I felt good about it. I thought, well, this is great. I mean, it's a nice church, big, strong. Everything seemed to be going well, you know, at first. But as a, as a brother pointed out later, he said, you know, the church at that time was like a river that's a mile wide, but only an inch deep. And he was right. It wasn't long before the lack of depth began to show up. First thing, which is to be expected, there were a lot of people in that church who had come because of the former pastor, what he had done in his ministry and bringing them there. And of course, he and I are totally different in personality and the way we approach ministry. So a lot of them said, we just can't continue here. We need somebody like him. And they began to leave. That's understandable, okay? But then some other things began to happen that were obviously schemes of the enemy. One of them was that this accusation began to float around the church, saying that I had come there from the very beginning for the purpose of stealing the church from the former pastor. I'd even brought in my Texas mafia, Dennis Morrow, <laughs> to help see that happen. <laughs> and, you know, once, once a rumor gets started, once a, an accusation starts spreading, doesn't matter what you say, you know, you're not going to stop it. It's just not going to happen. So people began to leave because of that. There were even some things that happened that, well, for instance, there were a group of women that were intercessors of the church. And they came to, came to me one time and said, you know, God showed us that you and Dennis are projecting yourselves out of your bodies at night and going and having covens with the witches and all the, where did this stuff come from? You know, it's like, And, you know, people kept leaving and kept leaving. We had this backdoor revival, you know. (laughs) Instead of coming in and staying, they were leaving and going out. (laughs) And one time a couple came to to tell me why they were leaving. I thought, that's good. I appreciate that. At least they're being honest about it. And what they told me was, we only stayed as long as we did to try to influence as many people as we could to leave with us. Wow. (laughs) Okay. And sure enough, they did. And then to top it all off, there were these ladies that came into my office one day and said, God told us to tell you he's going to kill you for what you have done. Boy, don't you love getting words of the Lord like that? (laughs) You know, oh, whoopee. (laughs) This is great. It kind of reminded me of the person who, 
who was trying to do the Kerplunk method to get guidance from the Lord. You know, how, you know what that is, right? Closed his eyes, opened the Bible, put his finger down. He opened his eyes and it said, and Judas went and hanged himself. <laughs> like, well, okay, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> I wasn't looking for people to tell me God's going to kill me. But as a result of all these things, I found myself trying to put out fires instead of really being the pastor I was supposed to be. And consequently, more people and more people left. It got so small that we realized that the church is no longer going to be able to support us financially. So we prayed about what to do. And this opportunity came up for us to buy a business real close to us, a lube and tire shop. And it seemed like the right thing to do. And we, as we bought that, it did very well at first. But another problem was that we spent so much time with that that, again, more things are being neglected at the church. So by the end of 2008, the church was down to about 25 diehards. You know, those that we're going to stay here no matter what. I said, you know, it's time for me to step aside and turn the church over to Chris and Jesse. Of course, their response was awesome. <laughs> Thanks so much, Dad. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> but they did a great job in seeing the church go from where it was to where it is now. I'm so proud of both of them and Chris and Chrissy and Jesse and Amber, all that they've done to help see this happen. Well, the church was doing well, but wasn't going so well for us. That same time, end of 2008, going into 2009, the economy took a nosedive, if anybody remember during those times. And as a, as a result... Our business started suffering. People started deciding to change their own oil or to go longer between changes or to let their tires last longer. And even a lot of our corporate business began to fall off because they were suffering financially also. So by the end of 2009, that fall, we realized that it was no longer going to be able to support us. So Cindy found a job and I kept working at the, at the business trying to make it work. But by 2010, the first part of it realized it was hopeless. So like in March of 2010, we closed the doors. And because we had equity from our house wrapped up in it, still owed money on it, we lost not only the business, we had to declare bankruptcy. Cindy was working. But I had nothing to do from the time we closed the doors of that shop until the end of April, 1st of May, when I was able to find a a part-time summer job, at least something to do to help bring an income. But during that month or so, while I was waiting, I spent a lot of time rejoicing. (laughs) I spent a lot of time praying, crying, looking online, seeing if there might be a pastor job somewhere that I could go and take it and just leave this all behind and start over afresh. I got so clinically depressed, I'm sure you would call it now, that I was trying to cheer myself up by watching movies. The problem was, I found myself crying at the end of Get Smart and Kung Fu Pastor, uh, Panda, Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> And they're supposed to be happening anyway. Well, it was for them, but I said, oh, God, it's not happening for us. What's going on? And during that time, as I prayed, God asked me a question. 
He said, through all of this, did you obey? You know, whenever God asks you a question, you know he already knows the answer, right? You just want to know if I'm willing to admit it. So I had to be honest. I wasn't going to lie to him. So I said, you know, many times I didn't, but I always came back to a place of obedience. Then he asked me another question. Through all of this, did you believe? So once again, I had to say, well, Lord, not, not all the time. But I always came back to a place of believing you. He said, that's all I was asking of you. To obey and to believe as best you could. He said, sometimes all that I'm asking of you in the season that you walk through is that you don't quit. That's all I'm asking. That you just don't quit. <clears throat> and then I remembered something that happened when we first moved to Durango. In 1997, shortly after we got there, Cindy had a severe asthma attack. So bad that I had to put her in the car and rush her to the hospital. And on the way there, she stopped breathing and started turning blue. Got her there to the emergency room. Later, the doctors, after they were able to to get her stabilized, they told me if you'd have been any later, she would have died or at least had brain damage. I said, oh, God, thank you. She spent several days in the hospital with things getting regulated. And one of those days when I was parked the car, walk up to the hospital to visit her, I was asking God, why? You know, you can ask why in two different ways, right? One is why. The other is why. I don't understand. We didn't come here out of rebellion. We came here because we know that you sent us here. Why is this happening? And I heard as clearly as I've ever heard God's voice. He said, I just wanted to see if you were willing to pay the price. At the time I heard it, I thought, glad that's over with. (laughs) But then I realized later on when he showed me that, he said, I was seeing if you would pay the price all these years to walk through the things I would have you walk through, to see things happen that I wanted to happen. I remember then that there were Many, many pastors who had come to Durango before us with the same kind of vision, same kind of heart, a desire to see God do great things in Durango. And nearly every one of them eventually left, either fell into sin or they got so discouraged they gave up and went somewhere else or they just left the ministry altogether. And God again said, you know, all I was asking is you just not quit. You just don't quit. I was so thankful we didn't leave. We wanted to. Times were so difficult. We wanted to go somewhere else. But God had made it so clear to us that he had sent us here that we knew he'd have to speak just as clearly for us to leave. Otherwise, we'd be, we'd be wrong to leave. So we stayed. Now, things didn't immediately to get better, but things in my heart changed. I began to see things through a different perspective. What God was doing. Eventually we lost our house you know, after losing the business. But, but God used Chris and Jesse to give us a place to live. And, and, and I was able then with Cindy working to be able to start going out and doing ministry again in the mission field. Which is where my heart really was. So as we look back on it I say was it worth it? 
I never would want to go through again what we went through during that time. But I would not take anything for what God did in my life during those years. The reality is, those ladies were right. They just interpreted it wrong. God wasn't going to kill me physically, but he killed a whole lot of stuff in me that needed to die through all of that. He's still doing it. I thank God for that. I'm not the same person I was in 1997. And I'm thankful, so thankful for that. Now, I am not the only one. We're not the only ones who have paid a price. Dennis and Laurel paid a price. They left their home of uh, in Irving where they'd been for as long or longer than we had. They'd been, gotten married in that church. Dennis had been an elder in that church. They left family and friends behind to come out here, not really knowing for sure what God was going to do. But they came faithfully. God used them. Every one of you, in one way or another, has paid a price to be where you are today. I'm so glad, personally, that God brought you here to be a part of what he's doing in this place. You paid a price to get here. You may not think of it that way, but you did. Things in your life brought you to this point. And... You have paid a price in the past. They're probably still paying a price even now for things you're wondering, is it worth it? Was it worth it? You're in good company. Let me just give you a few short examples from the Bible. Remember the story of Rebecca? One day, Abraham's servant came and God put him together with her and and he'd been looking for a wife for Abraham's son Isaac, but they didn't want a, a wife from that land. They wanted a wife from a wife from where they'd come. And so this servant asked Rebecca if she would go with him. There's a verse in Genesis twenty-four, verse sixty-one, that kind of summarizes what she had to pay. Then Rebecca and her servant girls mounted the camels. And followed the man. So Abraham's servant took Rebecca and went on his way. There's a lot in that verse. A lot implied. She had to leave her family and friends. Knowing that she would probably never see them again in this life. She had to ride on camels for days. That's not an easy thing to do from what I understand. I've never done it. But (laughs) I understand that's not the easiest thing to do. And then she had to go give herself as a wife to a man she'd never met before. The only thing she knew about was that he was a relative. But she did what was required. After they were married, it turned out that Rebecca was barren. But when Isaac prayed for her, God opened her womb and she had children. Jacob and Esau. Esau didn't turn out so good, but Jacob later became Israel, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. Was it worth it? I think she would say, absolutely, it was worth it. What about Joseph, her grandson, the next to the youngest child of, 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 of um, Israel, Jacob? He was sold into slavery by his own brothers. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of trying to seduce her, which he didn't. He was thrown into jail. Later on, he interpreted dreams for the Pharaoh's cupbearer and and baker. 
and the baker was killed according to the bream, and the cupbearer is re, 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 reinstalled to his place. And Joseph said, please don't forget me. But he did. Two more years went by, and Joseph's still in prison. Until one day, Pharaoh had a dream. And nobody could interpret it. And then all of a sudden, the cupbearer remembered, oh, there's this guy in prison. He interpreted our dreams correctly. So they called Joseph, cleaned him up, and he went before Pharaoh. And God used him to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And the Pharaoh saw such a gifting in him. He made him second in command over all of Egypt. Eventually, he was in that position where he could bring his family down and settle them in Egypt so they'd be uh, able to live through the famine that was going on. And his father died, and when the sons, after burying him, they came back, and they were really worried what, what Joseph might do because of what they'd done to him. So they went to him and said, you know, they kind of lied. They said, you know, our father said, you need to forgive us. Well, you know, this is, this is Joseph's response in Genesis 50, verses 19 and 20. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so that I could save the lives of many people. And as the sons of Israel, all those families lived there, they grew over the next years into a people of millions that God eventually led back to the promised land. Was it worth it, Joseph? Slavery, the prison, accusations, all that? Absolutely. It was worth it. What about Esther? She was a, basically an, an unknown Jewish orphan girl being raised by a, a cousin. But things happened where she was so beautiful that, that God worked it so that she was chosen to be the queen with our, with the, uh, Xerxes, what's it, Xerxes, Art Xerxes, yeah. And this was not an easy thing. She had left her family behind. She had to, had to go through all the rituals of getting prepared. And she had to be married to this wicked king. But then when the, when Mordecai, her cousin, discovered the scheme that, that Haman was working, trying to kill all the Jews, he sent word to her and said, you need to do something. You need to go before the king and intervene for our people. Her response was, you know, if I do that, I'll probably die because you can't go before the king without being invited. And if you do, he has to extend his scepter to you. If he doesn't do that, you die. But then her response in Esther 4 verse 16 was, go. Gather all the Jews to the, to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She's willing to die. Of course, she didn't have to. But she was willing to make the sacrifice necessary to see her people set free from this curse that was going to come upon them where they would have been wiped out as a people. Instead, God turned it around so that not only was Haman killed, but the Jews were able to take vengeance upon their enemies who wanted to kill them. 
because she was willing to pay the price. Let's talk just about one more. That's Paul. Paul went through a lot. I want to just read to you what his own words were. In 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 25, he said, Are they, speaking of others who have been serving God, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like I'm out of my mind. I'm even more so with much greater labors, with far more imprisonments, with more severe beatings, facing death many times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I received a stoning. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I spent adrift in the open sea. Boy, what a price he paid, right? We look back, we don't think about those things. We think about what a great apostle he was and all the books he wrote that so inspire us till today. But he paid a price to get there. Paul, was it worth it? In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, For our present trials, troubles, are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Another version says it kind of like this. These temporary light afflictions, afflictions are nothing to be compared with the glory that is to come. He called them temporary light afflictions. All he went through. Now, all of us, as I said earlier, have paid a price and maybe still are. Chris and Chrissy, Jesse and Amber, they didn't just see everything rosy and this church came to where it is now. They paid a price for it to get here. Every one of you in your life have at some point or another, maybe even still are paying a price. And you had not really thought about it as the fact that what it really is, is God is taking you things that will get you ready for everything that he's prepared for your life. When you realize that, look back on it. You can say, was it worth it? If you think about it that way, you can say, yes, it was worth it. Now, if you're still going through some situations, some sufferings, some prices you're paying physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally, whatever it is. I want you to stand up to that and I want you to say like Paul, this is just a temporary light affliction. And there is laid up for me a glory when this is over with. And I want you to believe that when all of it is done, it's all finished, whether that be in this life or even in heaven, we'll be able to look back on it and say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to pay the price? When you see it from the perspective that this is what God's requiring to bring you into everything that he has for you, keep looking at it and saying, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we all know what it's like to go through things to pay a price that we didn't really want to pay. But I ask you to help us to see it from a different perspective. 
to see that in your eyes it's just been a temporary light affliction compared to the glory that is yet to come. Help us stand believing that whether it's happened yet or not, will come the time when we can say it was worth it. Now I want you to say with me before we dismiss, it's worth it. It's worth it. Say it again. It's worth it. Come on, say it with conviction. It's worth it. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you.